Hello and welcome to the Message Makeover podcast brought to you by the Latimer Group, the experts in persuasive communication. I'm Dan Cooney and I'm joined today by my guest, Kate Duffy. Kate is a Los Angeles-based actor, writer, and coach. She's an alumnus of the Second City, Chicago, where she spent time on cruise ships and touring the country. As an actor, Kate has starred in a number of independent features and performs on Jimmy Kimmel Live. She just wrapped up production on a pilot with Ed Begley Jr. As a writer, Kate has sold a number of original television pilots and features and recently worked in the writer's room for a Netflix show. As a coach, Kate travels the globe helping executives hone their leadership skills and works with top universities, including Duke, Columbia, and UCLA. I'm so pleased to welcome Kate Duffy. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Are you joining us from sunny, perfect Los Angeles? I am indeed. It is sunny and perfect. I know. Jeez. On a loop out here. Right. On a loop. I like that. Well, it is actually probably 58 and sunny here. So uh, we're getting a break here in the old Northeast. Oh, that is a break. Being from the Northeast and from your hometown, that is quite a break this time of year. Right. And Congratulations. What a, thank you. And what a great segue. So we grew up in the same town, Kate Duffy, and we know of each other well, if that's fair to say, but we don't know each other well, and we're beginning to find out more about each other uh, in our prime here, uh, whatever those yeah, years are. Absolutely. It's been fun. I, um, you were always, you were just a couple years older than me, and- um, ran with a older, cooler crowd that I looked up to for sure. <laughs> oh, that's so kind. I will, I will, I will pay you later. But um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about growing up in Marion, Mass, and at Tabor Academy, and your, your path. Yeah, it's interesting because I, um, I grew up, as you know, but uh, for the listeners, I grew up at a boarding school called Tabor Academy. My dad was a a coach and teacher there, and we lived in the dorms. And when I was growing up, it was an all-boys school. It has since gone co-ed. But it's kind of interesting growing up as a faculty child in a pretty male-dominated, obviously, all-male school. There were some other kids, uh, girls my age, faculty kids. But, you know, it was, um, it was interesting because I had 40 boys that lived in my house my whole life, and I ate all my meals at the dining hall. And uh, I just became an observer of people. And I think that is where a lot of my comedy developed, actually, is just kind of watching the world around me, observing people in their natural habitats um, and finding humor and sort of the chaos that was constantly around. And it was a very small town, Marion. And it was thriving in the summer because it's a Cape Cod seaside community. Uh, but in the winter, there's not a lot to do, Dan. Would you agree? There's not a lot to do here, Kate. I <laughs> yeah. totally agree. Yeah, and this was pre-cable television. <laughs> <laughs> and pre-having my, my driver's license to get to the nearest movie theater, which I still think is about 30 minutes away. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you gotta you got to really find ways to entertain yourself when you are young and growing up in Maryland, okay. which so is a great, great way to grow up. So maybe that's that's what it was. You had to you were you were finding ways to introduce to uh, entertain yourself and your friends. Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Right. With limited uh, limited enter outside entertainment, you had to sort of go intrinsic. 
<laughs> right. Okay. So then you went off to college. You did. You did the Tabor thing. You did the college thing. And then, how yeah. did, uh, what led you to to Second City, or what led you to uh, comedy? Well, I had I had done some uh, performing in college. And I always really wanted to do it, but the push was hard from my parents to sort of get a get a job and get serious and start socking away that money for that 401k retirement. But I never fully bought into that and said, well, I, I really need to give this a try. Um, so I was working for a, a kind of parallel path here. I was working for a consulting firm in Boston, and they just happened to have a opening – so I got myself transferred to Chicago so that I could go to Second City because I, I knew very little about it, but I knew that all of the people I admired from a comedy standpoint had gone there and gone through Second City. So I just thought that that's, that's my first logical step here. Get myself to Chicago, get myself enrolled. So I actually moved there with a, a tiny U-Haul filled with my meager belongings <laughs> and I arrived. And then the very first day, I arrived, I just started taking classes at Second City and found a whole world of uh, comedy and improvisation and both at Second City and a couple other theaters there, the IO Theater and the Annoyance. Um, And I just sort of found my world and found my people um, while I was there performing. And I worked my way up the ranks of, you know, Second City and IO and Annoyance have pretty rigorous um, trainings that you go through with different levels and then um, you kind of earn your earn your stage time at night um, uh, and just get the reps in at these different theaters and then um, before you know it 10 years later uh, you are <laughs> you've built yourself up kind of um, I would say a pretty solid base of skills and the ability to after a lot of preparation and reps get up and, you know, do a long form show with high levels of success on in a weekend slot, which was coveted. And Second City was always sort of the goal. Um, it's where Tina Fey came from and Stephen Colbert and, you know, all the all the John Candy, just, John Belushi, John Candy, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Yeah. All of those folks kind of and you can go back. And, um, you know, a lot of my friends are on SNL now. It's kind of a feeder to SNL and always has been. So that was the goal. And and I worked really hard to get myself on the touring companies there. And then I worked on cruise ships and I started to understudy their um, stages before I, I left and came out here for m- more opportunities. Right. Well, that's pretty amazing. You pull up with your U-Haul. To, you get transferred out on purpose by your quote unquote day job. Go out there and just start to hang out at Second City and then work your way up. I love the – and then um, overnight sensation 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, we always joke about that when you see people on the talk shows that are sort of just breaking through in their careers. Uh, everyone's like, overnight sensation. But really, you know, the grind and the hustle is real behind the scenes. Those folks have probably worked 15 years, 20 years on their craft. No, just nobody knows about it. Right. We couldn't get through um, a podcast with you, Kate, without at least one reference to your dad, the legendary Dick Duffy, who was (laughs) at Tabor almost, what, for almost five decades. He was a legendary coach, uh, probably coached the varsity baseball team for 40 years, uh, JV football. I think one of his quotes are, there's no grass grows on the JV football practice field, meaning 
that's how tough and how much, how often you're down in the mud. So your reference to hustle is something that you probably came by naturally. Yeah, I definitely was, you know, work hard was uh, drilled in my house. Nothing comes easy. Um, and I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, I, I may have given up a long time ago on some of the things I was pursuing had it not been for that voice in my head that says, you know, 10,000 hours, hustle, all, all of those, work hard at it. You know, it's about the people who don't quit that actually make it towards the end. Um, and, and somebody said to me, you know, Kate, so many people quit on the, the two yard line. They don't even realize how close they are to success. And I think for me in this industry, for sure, that it, that's always in the back of my mind. You know, it, it, the break could come at any time. I'm um, just keep at it. And that's definitely something I picked up from my father. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. The quoting on the two yard line and not even knowing it. That's, that's a, that's a great insight. So take us now. So you also do uh, facilitation coaching um, and you know, you bring improv into that, which I love. And so take us into some of these basic tenets of improv that help you with your facilitation and coaching the yes. And, and beyond that, just explain a couple yeah. of the key tenets to our listeners. Well, it, improv is really, um, and it's kind of just backing up a little bit. Uh, I work for um, a friend of mine who has a company called Business Improvisations, Bob Cullhan, and he's just fabulous. And he came out of the Second City IO family as well. Mm. And he developed this whole rigorous um, approach to working sort of cr- across the aisle from what we do theatrically to the business world. And um, I just, it, it, there's such a natural uh, flow to that. And I don't think a lot of times it's clear to people until they've experienced it. But what we do on stage, the tenets of what we do, the process of which we use on stage can really be used anywhere to great success. And a lot of it is the yes and idea. And, and I, I, I use it with all of my coaching to say, and some people um, interpret it as sort of blanket agreement. And actually, it's a little bit different than that. It is just to say, I hear what you're saying. I acknowledge you. That's really the yes piece of it. I, I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm present with you. And the and piece, which we use to build on other people's ideas, is to say, and I have an idea based on what you're saying. So for me, the idea of yes and is just complete presence. It's about completely being in the moment with that person, listening to them. And rather than waiting to advocate for your idea or, you know, right fighting or debate versus dialogue, this really puts you in a a collaborative place with that person. And people are willing to, um, and I love Brene Brown, by the way, I read all her books, but she talks about the rumble. People are more likely to connect and want to engage with you when they feel that you're listening to them and you're present with them. So um, for me, it's really about the yes, total presence, listening, and the and building off ideas together. Um, And my idea might be slightly different than yours. My idea could, and I often say, and I have a different lens on it, right? Um, But I I can't have a different lens on if I'm not listening to you and not present with you. So yes, and is probably the key to it. 
Um, and I think that just the power of language when we're engaging with people yep. is so powerful when you realize that how often you say no or but and how that just the impact your words have on conversations um, is so it, it's so important to note. I can expand the conversation by saying yes and or I can say, uh, you know, I can close that conversation down by saying yes, but. Yeah, and it's it's powerful. We we talk a lot about listening. We don't think you can be a great communicator uh, at the Latimer Group if you aren't aware, have self awareness, have audience awareness, have situational awareness, and also if you don't know how to listen, you know, you're not going to be a very good communicator. And the idea that let someone finish completely and don't compete with them, be collaborative listener, not a competitive listener. And to your point of, you know, we all listen through our own lenses because we have all had different experiences on the planet Earth. And so our lenses can be very different and it's really interesting to listen to people. And of course, we're in an age where we're, none of us do this very well on a consistent basis. I do try my best to do better all the time, but I'm not great at this all the time, but, but it's so important. You know, it's interesting. I do think in today's world, we're distracted by a million, eight million things, right? right? We're moving so fast. We've got so much technology. We're um, very rarely present with people, truly present with people. And I, I really believe in the power of intention, what what we show up. I'm, I'm reading a great book right now uh, by Brenda Bruchard, I think is how you pronounce his name, High Performance Habits. And he talks about um, just the idea of setting intentions for every single thing that you do. Mm. So I try to do that, which really pushes the idea of great listening for me and being present. A lot of what I do um centers around really understanding that person and really um, whether it be absolutely be theatrically, but um, presence is so critical and you can tell when people slip away from you, even in the moment, we're never going to be perfect, right? We're all human and distraction comes and goes. But if we set the intention of really listening, being present with people, he's got some great case studies in his book, just about working with executives who were bringing work home with them at night, even and they would sit in their car and just say, my intention for this next part of my day is to show up and be a good husband and a good dad as I walk in the front door. Love it. I'm going to release my work um, and just the difference that makes. So I, I try before a, a show or before I work with a client, I try to set an intention for my work with them. And, and so often part of that is just to listen. Uh, Chip and Dan Heath's book, Made to Stick, has some of this. Also, Chris Voss uh, on Never Split the Difference, talking about how, as human beings, one of the earliest things that evolved in our brain is our ability to to detect a deception in another. Yeah. And, you know, because our survival depended upon it. But so the person who was at the cocktail party and still thinks look, looking over someone's shoulder and for another person to speak with uh, at the cocktail party is not easily, you know, uh, seen and detected by their partner is crazy. I mean, it's really one of the great skills we have. And you just never get away with it. 
Yeah, and you know what's so interesting, Dan, is that I uh, when I work at Columbia University sometimes teaching, um, there's a professor there named Paul Ingram, and he um, he's a fascinating guy. He spent most of his time there, well, well part of it at least, uh, researching um, social connections. And one of his interests, well, I thought one of his fascinating studies was he wanted to know when we go out to a cocktail party or when we're out uh, mixing and mingling. And let's say at the end of the night you go home and you, you think, wow, I met this guy tonight and I really want to keep him in my network. Or I'd like to uh, follow up and, and stay connected with that person. Paul Ingram wanted to know what makes, in a room full of people, what makes people stand out and be that one person you want to connect with. And his research showed that the the what makes us memorable to other people is that we were interested in them, right. that we asked questions of them. So we put all this pressure on ourselves to go out and be interesting, um, but really all we have to do is be interested and that person will remember that. And that requires listening and presence, obviously, and not that distracted look over the shoulder that everybody notices. Right. Um, absolutely. But I, I always think, you know, just be interested in the other person. Yeah. And, authentically, and that goes such a long way. Authentically, truly. So, you know, you can see people who ask those questions in a rat tat tat manner as yeah. if they know, I've been told, it is good to ask other people's questions at a cocktail party. <laughs> and yeah. you can also tell when someone's like really trying to get to know you, to try to connect with you. It's, you know, for me, connection to others for the purposes of good. I always say at the beginning of the workshop, that's the thing that I care most about, you know, and, and then the, re the how we connect to people is through understanding and understanding starts with communication. And so... We have to communicate so that we can start to understand, so we can develop those connections, and um, hopefully yeah. we can we can help others uh, try to do better as we are both trying to do better in this thing. That's that's hard to do in in 2018, almost 19. Yeah, and I I think that links back to the power of intention, right? My intention right. is to connect and my intention is to be authentically present. My intention is to be interested in you um, because we can, we can have placeholders, right? Where we just say, Oh, this is where I'm supposed to ask you this. And that's read through intention where I'm just waiting for you to stop talking or I'm asking you that rat tat tat type question that you mentioned. But I, I think it goes back to how we show up within those questions. Yeah. I like that. Um, we always talk for our communication, you know, for helping you know, in our coaching that goal, know your goals, understand your audience and map your plan. So goals is the first thing. And so that maps to intention that you're talking about. Be as precise as you can mm -hmm. about what you're trying to communicate and what you're trying to uh, get across to someone and how what you want them to do how you want them to feel, really be intentional about that. So that's that maps well to, to that piece. Yeah, it's interesting that, Dan, because I do think that um, one of the biggest things about any kind of executive presence or, you know, whether it's uh, or you can take it on to the comedy stages, however, is around confidence. Mm, and yep. I, I think confidence is so huge and confidence only comes through feeling prepared. Yep. And I think when we are completely prepared and we say this a lot uh, when we're learning, you know, a show or learning scripts or you're trying to learn your 
your running order. Um, prepare, prepare, prepare. It's so ingrained. Your message is so ingrained in you that you you know what's in there. And then you can throw it out and not worry about jamming your agenda down everyone's throat, but just being present, knowing I know what I'm trying to say and what I want to say and my flow through this conversation. But I also can flexibly answer questions or gently guide off course um, if that's what the room is asking for. So I think preparedness allows for a nimble and flexibility aspect for us to show up within that confidence, right? When when I first started coaching, I would always worry about what if somebody asked me a question I can't answer? And as I realized that when I'm present and I'm listening, there's no question I can't answer. Even if my answer is I actually don't know the answer, right? Um, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. Right. But just being able to show up prepared and confident within that um, allows us so much flexibility to, again, just really engage. Uh, the way that a colleague describes it to me, uh, my colleague, Dean, who founded our company, he talks about your preparation allows you not to be in your head and trying to figure out, oh, what am I supposed to say next? What am I supposed to say next? But that really having the confidence of that preparation is going to allow you to be with the audience and to sense just as you, to what you said, slightly different words, but same thing. It's like, so you can take care of the audience first and not be worried about what you're going to say because your preparation has allowed you to know what your main points are. And you'll get there, but you're going to care first about what's going on with the audience and what their needs are. Yeah, I always, I, I, I'm sure if you've ever gone to see a stand-up show and you see a stand-up and they start to um, doubt their material mm-hmm. or they start to uh, not perform as well, or maybe they didn't get a laugh at a moment that they usually get a laugh. Um, and the and when they start to fold in on themselves or they start to lose confidence, we in the audience get worried for that. Totally. We start having flop sweat in the audience yes. worried about, oh, gosh, we just need them to take care of themselves. Right. So that we can then feel confident that we can be with them. Um, but that sort of, oh, I'm having I'm nervous for them. Um, therefore, none of us are paying attention to what's being said. Right. So their message is being lost. It's not being conveyed powerfully because we're we're worried about them rather than putting all of our cognitive you know abilities <laughs> yeah, toward just enjoyment yeah understanding it understanding what they're trying to say yeah um well that's obviously that takes a lot of confidence is to be up on the stage uh in a, a stand-up uh in a stand-up format but you're you have to develop your executive presence for your acting uh, and your comedy. Besides confidence, what would you what would you say to our listeners if they're looking for ways to develop their own executive presence? Yeah, it's interesting. I um I do a lot of pitching for television shows and things like that, and oftentimes I'm going into a room with um sort of the the board, if you will, of yeah. people that want you to prove your show is worth investing in. Um, and, and it's interesting. I will say, you know. That, that preparation piece is so critical for me so that I, I know I can riff and have some fun and be um, authentically myself in that moment so that they can see me through what I'm trying to say as well. So it's not just about the story. They're also buying you. Um, and they want to know that you're smart and funny and engaging. Um, a lot of the things that come up with around energy, which I find really fascinating because 
I also think that energy and passion for your project has to come through. But I think a lot of times people misinterpret that and think I have to be waving my arms around and just um, – maybe bigger energy than they have. I, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone oh, yeah. sort of put on energy. Yeah. yeah. It's really uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to watch people who are putting on energy. So I would encourage everyone to just be your best version. What yeah. is your energy on your best day? Right. And then show up with that authentic level of energy. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a big one, but you know, the passion has to come through and the, and the belief in what you're talking about has to come through and sort of that clear through line. We talk about <laughs> if you're not a, you know, good, you know, some people will say, oh, you got to warm up the room. You, you know, you should always tell a joke, you know, to get everybody, you know, to lighten the room a little bit. And if you're good at that, that's a great gift. And that could be a way for you yeah. to add to your executive presence. But if you're not good at telling stories and you're not a good joke teller, don't tell stories and don't tell jokes. You're not funny. So, you know, just <laughs> yeah. and be off yeah. and appropriate to the moment, too, because you might be the greatest joke teller and storyteller and wonderful sense of humor. But if you've got to go in and tell people that um, there are 40 percent layoffs, you know, that's probably not a good executive presence yeah. to have. Yeah. So you want to be authentic to yourself and and maybe dialing it up a little bit. You know, if you're soft spoken, you need to dial it up, as you said, in your best moment on your best day. Um, and appropriate to the situation. So that's interesting. That's great. I love that. We always say in the in the theater around voice modulation, where if you can, and we're going to be in different size rooms, right? Sometimes we're in meetings with just five people, and sometimes we're doing a keynote. We might have a thousand people, um, and then we're mic'd up, and that that's less important. But if you can think about bouncing your voice off the back of the room. That's something that we try to visualize, just pushing your voice out a bit. So mm -hmm. bouncing it off the back. We always say bounce the voice off the back wall. Like and it. that way you always are sort of speaking to the size of the room that you're in. Right, right. Um, but that's something visually that's always helped me with what kind of um, voice modulation or energy levels do I need to make sure the person sitting in the back row hears me um, or the person sitting around the table. I love it. I love it. I know you are working on some uh, writing projects, and uh, obviously your storytelling capabilities are uh, well honed. Any 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 uh, suggestions for our listeners on storytelling on how to how to develop that? Well, it's interesting. I, I'm so glad that you brought that back up because I was thinking about that when you mentioned it a moment ago. I do think that even people who say to me, "I'm not a storyteller." I think maybe taking some of the mystique out of storytelling, we are all heroes in our own hero's journey. And some of the greatest stories I've ever heard that really resonated with me in the corporate setting, especially, were just stories my manager and my great mentor, this gentleman named Greg Johnson, he would tell me just moments where he was unsuccessful, what he learned from it. Yeah. Um. So sometimes I think we put too much um, – sort of story in bold and just say, these are real experiences that you've had that when you share them, that they really are meaningful to people. 
Um, and we all have a million stories to tell because we've all gone through life. So I think sometimes it's about taking the pressure off being a storyteller because I think that comes with weight and baggage to just say this is really about sharing your experiences in meaningful and engaging ways Bing. so that people Bingo. can learn from you. Um, and and a lot of times those stories can be really meaningful that people hold on to and you don't even realize it. So I think – and I have um, some go-to stories that I use that are not always my stories. I tell stories about – this is a story that my manager told me and it really resonated with me and here's why it resonated with me. Um, but I do think having a handful in your sort of management or a leader tool belt uh, to have ready to go that you can scale up or down and, you know, write them out, practice them and, and take the pressure off them having to be, um, you know, the next Star Wars <laughs> storyline. Yeah, like when mentioning about if you're not funny and you don't tell jokes, you know, then don't tell those stories. But everybody should tell stories and they don't have to have a Pixar Disney arc, you know, where, you know, the main character gets into trouble and then we get the main character yeah. out of trouble. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they but you're, exactly the more personal, you know, and, and they should relate to, again, we always want to take care of our audience. Um, but but if they're personal and authentic, they're going to resonate because we're all human beings and we share some of the you know ups and downs and slings and arrows that that we go through day to day. Yeah, and I do think the more we tell our stories, the more we share those stories, the more we the the easier it becomes to be a storyteller and we realize wow, I am somebody who gauges around a narrative mm -hmm. rather than facts and data and and a research and I forget the author of the research report but um a few years ago I saw a research report that talked about they broke two group uh, they broke a group of people into A and B and they put team A uh, into an auditorium and they showed them a PowerPoint slide with all this information and then they took group B and they put them in a different auditorium and, and the person just gave them the same information, but through stories and through narrative. And then they tested people's recollections and group A that had facts and data, they only remembered about 15 to 20% of the information and group B that got all the same information, but in a narrative and a story, they remembered 70 to 75% of the information. Yeah. So storytelling is a huge tool for us um, to engage people, to get people thinking and remembering what we're saying. I think the rem the remembering part is 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 critical there, and of course, we're all natural storytellers. This is the way that we've passed down information and knowledge yeah. through this, you know, every civilization. And you know, writing is a recently is a recent uh, you know technology in the development um, of our species. So, of course, storytelling comes naturally to all of us. And I think I love your advice of don't worry about, you know, making it the most exciting thing ever, but make it authentic and make it personal and do it naturally. Yes, practice them, but but they're your stories and it's it's people are going to be interested if it's authentic. Yes, absolutely. And, and some of the best stories I've ever heard are when leaders are willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. I think vulnerability and leadership, they some, you know, Brene Brown talks about it a lot, but 
um, it doesn't always go hand in hand, and I think it's a big mistake. I think it's a loss. Um, to be able to say I've failed and I've learned or I tried that, it didn't work as well, and here's my takeaway, or I've been right where you are and it's challenging and difficult and I wasn't always successful, but here are some of the things I did. Those are stories and those are so helpful for people who are in the middle of their own struggle to hear, wow, you were once here and I admire you and I see that you're willing to share truths. Um, it also leads to a culture, I think, that is willing to take risks. And obviously, when we take risks, great innovation comes and we break status quo thinking. But I, I think so much of it is about leaders showing up, uh, as you said, so authentically, but also being willing to be vulnerable. Yeah, because we don't all, you know, about a thousand, we don't always win every game. And that's the human that is the human story is uh, getting knocked down and getting back up and what you learn from that. And, you know, over time, you know, I think you know, you, there's not, I'm not one of these, there are two kinds of people in the world, but you do see people who have this narrative like, up, oh, there it goes again. My battery didn't start today <laughs> versus up, oh, there it goes again. I, that happened last, you know, two weeks ago and I was able to figure out how to jump it and aren't, you know, I'm, aren't I resourceful? So, it's what the, the stories we tell in our own heads that can be even most powerful. But I love you bringing, oh, yeah. bringing in the Brene Brown, um, you know, our hero, Brene Brown on vulnerability. <laughs> powerful, powerful stuff. So, Kate, um, this has been great. I so appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, I know you are what you're performing in L.A. with your improv group's Triumph, as you say, not the hair band and Village Bicycle. <laughs> And yeah, those are two of my improv troops in L.A. I love it. We usually perform at Second City in Los Angeles. I love it. And you have a book coming out. I do have a book coming out. It's called, well, working title right now is called Unsupervised. This is tales of growing up in the 70s and 80s. And they are short stories uh, based, uh, first person narrative based on my real experiences growing up at the boarding school. <laughs> during I, that time period. I cannot wait to read that. That's going to be <laughs> very exciting. And you know what? The two, thank, thankfully, all of us, I think, growing up in that time period, were much more unsupervised than our kids today. So aren't, <laughs> yeah. aren't we lucky? I want to celebrate that. Yes. Celebrate our lack of supervision. Yeah. Well, we always end up with a, with a key coaching takeaway. So among the things that we talked about and we covered a lot of great ground about listening and about confidence and about storytelling what would you what would you what would you give for your coaching takeaway to our listeners today Kate I I I think because it's my kick right now I think that the power of our intention for everything you know, setting intentions for everything we do is so critical. So, and, and really saying them out loud and reminding yourselves of them. And sometimes I, I write them down on a post-it and I keep them on my um, notes just to say, listen, connect, and whatever your intentions are, saying them out loud, vocalizing them and being clear on what they are so that it comes through in everything that you do. I love it. I love it. The intention. Well, my intention is to to wrap this fantastic uh, episode of the Message Makeover up with grace 
And it, that does it for this edition of The Message Makeover. We thank our whole team at the Latimer Group, including Dean Brenner, Whitney Sweeney, Amy Fenelosa, Hannah Morris, Kendra Gukas, and our producer, Brett Slater, and the always beautiful Wiscasset, Maine. Thank you, Kate Duffy, for joining us. You are great, and I can't wait to uh, read the book, Unsupervised Tales from Growing Up in the 70s and 80s. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I really had a great time. That was awesome. Thank you. The Message Makeover podcast is presented by The Latimer Group, the experts in persuasive communication, corporate training, and executive coaching delivered with impact. For more information on The Latimer Group and for more episodes of The Message Makeover podcast, look for us on iTunes, Google Play, and online at thelatimergroup.com.